Wildwood Community Church, we are for following Jesus together to the glory of God. We're for the church, for the community, for the nations, and for the next generation. To contact us or for more information, see our website at wildwoodchurch.org. Well, today, friends, we are going to be continuing a sermon series we began a couple weeks ago called The Lord of the Earth. And this series, of course, fits inside of a number of sermon series that we're walking through in 2022 here at Wildwood, all anchored in the book of Revelation. And throughout our studies, we've seen that the revelation is a revelation of who? Of Jesus Christ. That's right. It's a revelation of Jesus Christ. And so far, we've seen Jesus revealed as the Lord of the church. We've seen him revealed as the Lord of heaven. And then over the last few weeks, we've also been seeing that he is the Lord of the earth. And we've seen that in chapter 6 through 18. Today, we're going to be in part three of this series as we look at Revelation chapter 10. But before we look at Revelation 10 together, I want to just reflect for you for a moment about the month that we have just lived through. Now, the month of May 2022 has been a month that has had uh, some exciting things that have happened. Uh, there have been graduations that we have celebrated. There have been weddings that we have celebrated. And there are a number of exciting things that have happened. But there also have been some very difficult things that our country has gone through over the last month or so. We think about the events of May the 14th when someone with hate in their heart drives to Buffalo, New York, and goes to the top supermarket and opens fire, killing 10, uh, apparently motivated with racial intentions. We think about that event. Or we think about the event this last week, on May the 24th, when someone goes into an elementary school in Texas and opens fire and kills 21, including 19 children. Now, those are events that we have all shared that have brought sadness and sorrow to our hearts and to our minds. But those are not the only ones. There have also been deaths of loved ones. There have been diagnosis of cancer and surgeries and difficulties. And those are just a few of the things. But if we were to go around the room, there are many things in our, our world that we've experienced over the last number of weeks that might cause us to respond similar to a response that we see in the book of Revelation. And that is the response of going to the Lord and saying, Lord, how long? How long will you allow these things to happen upon the earth? If you are the Lord of the earth, how long until you intervene and stop this? This is a desire that we have. It's a prayer that we've prayed. And if we haven't prayed it yet, just live a little more years, a little few more months. No doubt at some point, these words will come out of your mouth if we're honest before God. Well, when we get to Revelation chapter 10, we find an answer to that question. How long, O Lord? Well, there is a fixed point. There is a time when God will respond. And when God finally responds to our request for how long, uh, there's a part of us that will celebrate. But if we're thinking rightly about the matter, there is also a part of us that will shudder. And I want us to, to look at that today as we see all of what God has for us in Revelation chapter 10, 
verses 1 through 11. We're going to look at all of chapter 10 today. And so if you've got a Bible, take it out and turn to Revelation 10. I want to read those verses for us. And then after reading them, we'll back up and make a couple of observations today. Revelation chapter 10, again, the apostle John is writing and he says this. He says, then I saw another mighty angel coming down from heaven, wrapped in a cloud with a rainbow over his head and his face was like the sun and his legs like pillars of fire. He had a little scroll open in his hand and he set his right foot on the sea and his left foot on the land. And he called out with a loud voice like a lion roaring. And when he called out, the seven thunders sounded. And when the seven thunders had sounded, I was about to write, but I heard a voice from heaven saying, seal up what the seven thunders have said and do not write it down. And the angel whom I saw standing on the sea and on the land raised his right hand to heaven and swore by him who lives forever and ever, who created heaven and what is in it, the earth and what is in it, the sea and what is in it, that there would be no more delay. But that in the days of the trumpet call to be sounded by the seventh angel, the mystery of God would be fulfilled, just as he announced to his servants, the prophets. Then the voice that I had heard from heaven spoke to me again, saying, Go, take the scroll that is open in the hand of the angel who is standing on the sea and on the land. So I went to the angel and I told him to give me the little scroll. And he said to me, Take and eat it. It will make your stomach bitter, but in your mouth it will be sweet as honey. And I took the little scroll from the hand of the angel and I ate it. It was sweet as honey in my mouth, but when I had eaten it, my stomach was made bitter. And I was told, you must again prophesy about many peoples and nations and languages and kings. Now, friends, in these 11 verses, we're going to see a couple of things today. So what are they? The first thing that I want us to see is this. I want us to see that God is speaking. And so if God is speaking, the question we ought to ask is, are we listening? God is speaking. Are we listening? Now we see this in the first seven verses of Revelation. But before we dive into those verses, I want us to place this in a little bit of a context to to help understand more of what we're going to see. And so when we think about this and the fact that God is speaking, how is the King of Kings speaking? How is it that Jesus is communicating to the world? Well, there are a variety of ways in which he is. So what are those ways? Well, one way that God communicates to us is through nature. God communicates through nature. Psalm chapter 19 talks about how God communicates through nature in verses 1 through 6, the first of which says this, The heavens declare the glory of God, and the sky above proclaims his handiwork. God is speaking through the created order. That psalm will go on to say that the communication that God gives through nature is something that is heard and understood in every culture on the planet. In other words, it is accessible to all. Well, if God is speaking through nature, through creation, what is he saying through nature? Well, Romans 1 tells us. God is communicating his invisible attributes, namely his eternal power and divine nature. They have been clearly perceived ever since the creation of the world and the things that have been made. So what does God communicate through nature? God communicates through nature that he created it. And whoever created this world is obviously very powerful and is obviously very creative. 
We look at the intricacies of a cell, or we look at uh, the vastness of a desert, or we look at the, the awesomeness of the night sky, or the power of a waterfall. We look at how this world is created and all that is in it. It causes us to, to hear a message, and that message is, this is a place that is created with design by someone who is very, very powerful. Not only are they very powerful, but they are so powerful that they must be someone or something very different from us. They must be an eternal God. So just by virtue of living on this planet and seeing creation around us, God is speaking to us. The King of Kings is speaking to us and reminding us that he is real and that he is powerful and that he is God. But there's a second way that the King of Kings communicates to us, and that is through Scripture. There are things we can understand about God just by looking at the night sky, that he is real, that he created, that he's powerful. But there are things about God that the sunset won't tell you, things like the fact that he's a loving God. God needs to intervene in a particular way to give us special revelation so that we would understand certain aspects of his character, so that we would understand that we would be held accountable by this God. We wouldn't, we wouldn't know that if God didn't tell us, but God tells us through his word. Again, Psalm 19 talks about this in the second half of that psalm. That he, he talks about how he communicates in nature in the first half. The second half, he talks about how he communicates in Scripture. The precepts of the Lord, verse 8 tells us, are right, rejoicing the heart. The commandment of the Lord is pure, enlightening the eyes. God has given us the Scripture to open our eyes so that we might see him for who he really is. Not only that, but we see places like Paul's word to Timothy in 2 Timothy 3, where he says, all scripture is breathed out by God and is profitable for teaching, reproof, correction, training, and righteousness that the man of God may be complete, equipped for every good work. God is communicating through his scripture. He breathed it into existence so that we might understand certain things about who he is. If we want to know who God is, we can look at the world around us, but also we need to look into his word because it is through his word that he has communicated the reality of who he is to us. But God has communicated in more ways than just nature and scripture. Can you think of another way that God communicated to us? Through Jesus, the living word of God. And in John chapter 1, we, we see this where Jesus is described as eternal God existing forever in heaven, but then taking on flesh and dwelling among us so that we might understand more of who God is. Verse 18 culminates chapter 1 with this statement, no one's ever seen God, the only God who is at the Father's side, but Jesus came to make him known. If we want to know who God is, we need to look to the person of Christ. It is, it is God the Father. In, in who he is and his reality communicated in three dimensions for us to understand when he sent his son into our world. We see this in John chapter 14, verse 8, when Jesus is talking to his disciples and he says, whoever has seen me, Jesus says, has also seen the Father. In other words, the Trinity is at work, God the Father in heaven, God the Son on the earth, but communicating the essence of who God truly is. And so if we want to get to know God, then we need to learn to recognize his voice, to recognize his speech in nature, in scripture, and specifically in Jesus. But I want to highlight a, a fourth category, which really is just a subset of scripture. 
but I want to pull it out for the purpose of our study today. And that is to think of the way that God communicates to us through prophecy. Through prophecy. Now, prophecy is a section of Scripture, but it's not an insignificant section of Scripture. It's an important and lengthy section of Scripture. God speaks about future events often for our benefit. Places like Revelation chapter 1, verse 1, the revelation of Jesus Christ, which God gave him to show to his servants the things that must soon take place. He has made it known. Revelation, the most complete section of prophecy, but there are prophetic sections of a number of Old Testament books. And, and, and even if you, you think about this, uh, even the person of Jesus, some want to argue that the words of Jesus are somehow more important than the rest of Scripture. I mean, God is speaking with the same voice in all of Scripture in the life of Jesus, but in other places as well. But even if you want to just look to the, what Jesus said, the last lengthy sermon that Jesus preached was all about the end in Matthew 24. See, Jesus talked about it. The Scriptures talk about it. There's lots of prophecy looking towards the end. How much? Well, one estimation has the amount of prophetic writings in the Bible being 27% of our Bible, 27%. Now, you may not be a, a math person, so this is a way to, to help understand and grasp just what that is. If you've got a, a paper Bible, if you've got an electronic Bible, this is really hard to do, but if you've got a paper Bible, you can do this. Um, Put your finger between First and Second Kings and then open your Bible. The section from the beginning of your Bible to the gap between First and Second Kings represents 27% of your Bible. Friends, that's how much God talked about prophetic events. Now, I'm not saying that Genesis through First Kings is all prophecy. Genesis through First Kings has a lot of stuff in it. But what I'm saying is if you took all of the Bible and you pulled out all of the verses relating to prophecy and you put them in one section, it would be that many pages. It would be that much of a percentage of your Bible. Now, you might say, well, wait a second, hasn't some of that already happened? And the answer is yes. Of all of the prophetic scriptures, about half of those prophecies have already been fulfilled. So those would be things that related to the first coming of Jesus as well as a few other things. And so when we go ahead and take all of the things that were already that were spoken of and have already taken place, and you take those half out, how many verses in our Bible talk about future events yet to occur? Well, take your finger and put it between Deuteronomy and Joshua. When you look at your Bible from Genesis through the book of Deuteronomy, that's how much of your Bible talks about future prophetic events that have not yet taken place. Now, friends, that's a lot. God has spoken a lot about events that relate to the end. Now, I think he's, he's done that because there is something that he wants us to know. You know, sometimes we take this attitude towards prophecy that we're like, well, that's, that's just too much. It's too crazy. It's not nothing for us to pay that much attention to. But you know what? Apparently, God thinks it's something for us to pay attention to. If he's going to speak that much, that's more than he spoke about the life of Moses or Abraham. He spoke more than about them. He spoke about the events related to the end. And so we should take notice that God wants us to hear something about events that relate to the end. 
So when we look at Revelation 10, we see just another part of the revelation unfolding about what is happening at the end, something that God wants us to take notice of. So what do we see in Revelation 10? Well, in Revelation 10, the Apostle John again sees a a mighty angel come down from heaven and rest upon the earth. Now, this picture of this mighty angel is is one really that um, confuses biblical interpreters. And I was talking about this with Bruce this morning. There are a number of different perspectives about who this mighty angel is. Um, One of the the big views about who this mighty angel is, is that this is a representation of Jesus himself. Now, why would someone think that this angel is a representation of Jesus himself? Well, it's because he comes wrapped in a cloud with a rainbow over his head. His face is shining like the sun. Uh, He's got a scroll in his hand. His legs are on fire. He's roaring like a lion, the lion of Judah. All of those things are, are... connected in some way to different pictures of Jesus that we have seen inside of the book of Revelation. So some see in this that this is a picture of Jesus. But I don't take that view. Part of the reason is because it says there is another mighty angel. In Revelation, there are like 60 angel references. There's angels throughout the entire book, and this is just another one. Jesus is not just another angel. He is far greater than that. And so what do we have here is, is, is not another angel or an, another picture of Jesus. What we have here is an angel who is coming in the regalia of Jesus in his authority and power. This is an angel who is coming to do the work of Jesus. He shows up in the uniform, glowing with, with legs on fire and roaring like a lion because he has come to do the work of Christ. So what happens Well, when this angel who comes upon the earth lands, he lands in a very emphatic way. It says that one foot landed on the sea and the other on the land. Now, when I imagine this first in my own mind, I imagine somebody standing on the shore of the the beach. Like if you ever go to the beach, you got like, you know, your toes are in the sand on one side and the water's kind of lapping up on the other. That's kind of how I pictured this. But that's really not the picture here. It's not somebody with just a little bit of water and a little bit of land. Imagine an angel coming down and putting one foot in Utah and the other foot near Hawaii in the ocean. I mean, this is massive, the angel that comes down to do the work of the Lord. The picture of landing that large, that in charge, over that big of a piece of land is a reminder that the message this angel is going to to deliver the work that he's going to do is going to impact all of the world. This is further echoed in in what we see in terms of the the oath that this angel takes, that angel takes an oath and says, uh, swears by heaven and everything that's in it, earth and everything that's in it, and sea and everything that is in it, the God who created all of those things. It's a reminder that this message is for all because God sits as sovereign over all. Jesus is the Lord of the earth. It's further reflected in the, the message that was given to John to go and proclaim, a message that was for all peoples and nations and languages and kings. See, this is a message with far-reaching implications. So what is that message? What happens when the angel lands? Well, the first thing that we find out is that these thunders begin to sound. 
As a matter of fact, there are seven thunders that begin to sound. And as these seven thunders sound, John picks out his pen and he begins to to write it down because that's what he's done. Remember, there was seven seals that John saw opened and what happened? John wrote it down so that we could read about it in Revelation. There were seven trumpets that blew and John wrote it down so that we might know something about it. There's seven bowls that we poured out. John writes down what happens. So seven thunders, John begins to write it down. But then a voice comes from heaven. Jesus says, hey, hey, John, just keep this message between us. This seven thunders thing, this this judgment that is exhibiting in seven thunders, we're not going to share that piece with everybody. Now, why? Why? Why is it sealed up? Why do we not find out about that? God entrusted us knowledge about the seven seals and the trumpets and the bulls. Why are the thunders sealed up? Well, we, do, we don't really know. The best I can think of is kind of a, a Jack Nicholson-inspired answer. God looked at us and said, you can't handle the truth. <laughs> Sorry, just, just making sure y'all are still awake. Um, I, I do think there's a sense of that, right? God doesn't communicate everything about the end because... We might not be able to handle everything that he communicates. He lets us know the most important parts, the things that we need to grasp onto, but there are things related to the end that go beyond what he has even revealed to us in his word. Now, just as a quick aside, that ought to encourage us to have some humility when it comes to our understanding of the end times. Because right here in scripture, there's a part of what's happening at the end that nobody knows about. What are the seven thunders? Nobody knows. There are parts of this that, that God has concealed, and it ought to give us a sense of humility. You know, when we study this, if you're a, an information person, it's easy to get fired up when you study end time stuff because you can get charts and you can start looking at headlines and you can start reading blogs and listening to podcasts. And it, it can be intoxicating, all the information that is available on this topic. But as we consume that information, friends, we need to have a sense of humility because there are parts of this that we simply do not understand. There are parts of it that if God did communicate all of us for whatever reason, it would not be for our own good. And so we see part of this message is concealed. But there are other parts of this message that come out loud and clear. So what is that part of the message? Well, in order to understand that, we need to look at the context Back in Revelation 6, we saw that in heaven, the the martyred saints are in heaven and they're crying out to God, how much longer, how long until you will judge and avenge our blood upon the earth? Lord, when are you going to respond? How long? And the response that God gives to them at that time is just a little while longer. Now, why did he delay? Well, again, we've seen this in our study over the last few weeks. God delays in in giving his judgment upon the earth. He delays in responding because he did not wish that any should perish. God is giving humanity a chance to respond before the end comes. But what we see in Revelation 10 is that this delay that God has does not go on forever. And there will come a time, even though God desires that all repent, there comes a time when if we have not repented by a certain point, it will be too late. And we see that in what happens. The angel says, after swearing to do this, 
He says, there will be no more delay. But then in the days of the trumpet call to be sounded by the seventh angel, in other words, when the the seventh trumpet blows and the seven trumpet judgments, then the mystery of God will be fulfilled just as announced to his servants, the prophets. When when that trumpet blows, this thing that has delayed for 2,000 years plus some portion of the great tribulation period, when that trumpet blows, it's going to be a race to the finish line. And there will be no more chance to respond. This is the message that is shared here. And so when we think about this, we need to be reminded of a few perspectives. What are those? The first perspective I want us to be reminded of is this. God wants us to know about the end. God wants us to know about it. God has communicated all of this about the end for us because he wants us to to think about it, to ponder it, to reflect on the significance of it. And why? Because he's giving us a warning. He's giving us a chance to turn and repent before it is too late. God desires that we repent. And so if you are here today and and you are continuing to live your life dependent upon yourself and doing your own thing and not trusting in Christ for the forgiveness of your sins and not following him with all that you are, then know that there will be a day when turning to him will not be available to you. But that's not today. That's not this moment. Right now, there is a chance for each and every one of us to turn to Christ in faith and commit our lives to him. And if so, we will survive when judgment comes. Would you trust in Christ? We, we see that reminder inside of Revelation 10. But there's something else we need to see in this. And that has to do with our understanding of the end times. We should have a humility related to our understanding of end times. So as we look at this, we can see how these verses are there. And I, I promise you, as I'm, I'm preaching through this, um, I, it may sound, I'm like very emphatic, like there's only one thing. There are Christians who disagree with me on this, and they're wonderful, godly people. I'm presenting as I best understand these passages, but there will be disagreement between me, not on the, the biggest things, but on some fine points inside of this. And so we should have a sense of humility as we approach our understanding and application of these principles. But we also ought to have an understanding of the end. I mean, if God has communicated all this to us, shouldn't we do something with it? You know, far too many Christians spend their lives and they they think of prophetic events and they just think, well, that's not for me. That's for the pros. That's for the experts. and, And we don't ever look at it. Now, I'm not saying if you're a brand new Christian, if you're a brand new Christian, read the gospel of John, get to know Jesus. But if you've been following Christ for 30 years and you've never read Ezekiel or Daniel or Revelation, friends, you've got a letter from the Lord on your mantle that you never opened. May we open it to to read and understand more of who God is. He has communicated that to us. God is speaking, friends. Are we listening? We see that here. There's a second thing we need to see. And I think this is really important for us to see this. Not only is God speaking, are we listening, but also God is speaking, are we receiving? Are we receiving? Not just letting his word flow past our ears, but are we internalizing it? Are we embracing it? Are we allowing its full effect to take root in our souls? 
This is really the question that we see in verses 8 to 10. Now, where do we see that? Well, we see it in this very strange request that is made of John. It says, then the voice that I had heard from heaven, so Jesus' voice speaks to John again and says this to him, go and take the scroll that is open in the hand of the angel who is standing on the sea and on the land. So I went to the angel and I told him to give me the little scroll. And then he said to me, take it and eat it. Now this is odd, isn't it? If I ever tell you to eat a book, don't do it, okay? So you might wonder, what, what is happening? I mean, was this scroll like a tortilla or something? You know, how does this fit together? Well, I think we need to understand a little bit of prophetic language. See, God has said something like this before. Back in Ezekiel chapter 3, God said to Ezekiel, I want you to take this scroll and I want you to eat it. And the idea was not so much about eating paper, but the idea was ingesting God's word, internalizing it. Let it sink deep into our souls so that it might produce its desired effect. God's intention is not just that he speak and we acknowledge that he's speaking, but, and not just that we hear it, but that also we internalize it and we allow it to go deep into our hearts and souls and lives and that it lead to a response of some kind. And so the call is for us to ingest and to allow this message of the end to take root in our souls. And when we do that, what will happen? Well, a couple of things are said. The first thing that's said is when, when you ingest this knowledge of the end, guess what will happen? It will taste as sweet as honey. Now, who doesn't want to eat that? I mean, maybe there's you know, some on some kind of paleo diet and that sounds crazy to you, but I, I, there's some part that, that sounds cool about that, right? Eating something that has some honey, something that has a sweetness to it. That's, that's the idea here, something desirable. As we cry out to God, how long, O Lord? And God says, now, there's a part of us that will go, yes, right? Because we've been calling out for this. There's a part of that that is sweet. And, and not only that, but we, we think about on a number of different areas in our lives, number of different areas in our lives where, where we would say, God, I want to know your will for my life. God, I want to know your plan for my expression of sexuality in life. God, I want to know these things. And we would say those, and, and if we were found out that God has responded on those areas, there's a part of us that goes, yes, my prayer has been answered. God is, is providing direction where I need it. There's a part that is, that is sweet to our mouths. But what's interesting is, he doesn't just say it will just be sweet, but he also says what? It will make your stomach bitter, repeated twice. Now, what's the idea with that? Well, the idea is, if we are to really internalize this message, there is a part of it that ought to disturb us in some way. There's a part that will cause some discomfort for us in some way. Now, in what way does knowledge of the end disturb us or discomfort us? Well, if we're thinking rightly, then we ought to be shocked and bothered by the amount of human carnage that comes at the end. When Jesus really does return to this earth and humanity is really judged, 
There are real people who will spend an eternity apart from God in hell. And there is real human carnage upon the earth, so much so that Revelation 19 calls birds down from the sky to clean up the mess that is happening at the return of Jesus to the earth. Now, friends, that if we are thinking accurately, our prayers, Lord, how long? When he says now, we go, yes, it's time, but it also leads to this bitterness and this difficulty and this deep reality. And friends, that's also even true as it relates to other things. Lord, we want your direction, but when God gives it at time, that could put us at odds with friends, with family, or even with desires in our own heart. Sweet to our mouths, bitter to our stomachs. So if there is this bittersweet thing going on, then how might we think of our response? What are we to do if receiving and internalizing God's word is both bitter and sweet. Well, the first thing I would encourage you to do is the same thing the passage says, eat it. Why? Because it's true. As it relates to our lives, God's word is true and it's the life that we were created to live. It's the life that we were created to live. So, by, by turning to it and eating it and, and, and dwelling on it, internalizing it, obeying it, what happens is we are living in the direction of life that God has intended. And that even includes the end day's judgment upon those who have rejected Christ. Putting our head in the sand on these matters will not change their reality. And so may we, may we internalize these truths and know that they're coming. And if, if we do, if we do internalize these truths and know that they're coming, what will that lead to in our lives? Well, I think it leads to at least two simultaneous responses in us. One response is a response of being expectant and excited. Romans chapter 8, verses 22 through 25 talks about the second coming of Christ like a mother giving birth, that all creation right now is groaning with the pains of childbirth, awaiting the redemption of our bodies. And so we are excited for the time when sin will not rule in this world any longer, and we're excited for the time when we will see him face to face, and we're excited for the time when we will shed this tent that is prone to error, and we will be in his presence in an incorruptible form. Friends, we are expected and we are excited about that. That's one of the responses that we have. But there's a second response that if we are understanding this and internalizing this message accurately, that will spring up in our soul. And that is the response of being moved and motivated. When Jesus approaches Jerusalem before he goes to the cross, Luke 19 tells us that he did something as he looked out over the city. What did he do? He wept. Why did he weep? Because he knew the rejection that was coming and he knew the judgment that would follow that rejection. And so he wept over his city. Friends, if we are accurately thinking about the reality of future judgment, it should move our emotion, the judgment that is coming upon humanity. Not callously sitting by and filling out our end times charts, but being moved with a sense of urgency and action at what awaits the world when Christ comes back. And then be motivated 
to actually share the gospel with those who currently don't know him. I love what it says in, in Romans 10, 14, and 15. It says, you know, interestingly enough, this is in a section that's talking about things like predestination, but right in the middle of that section that's talking about predestination, you know what, you know what it says? It says, how will they believe if you do not tell them? And how will, you, how will you tell them unless you're sent? How beautiful are the feet are those who bring the good news. Friends, how do we respond to the knowledge of the end? It ought to move us and it ought to motivate us to share the gospel with the lost. Friends, this is truth that we are called to not just hear, but we are called to receive. Would you pray with me? Father God, thank you for today. Thank you for your word. Thank you for this, this great truth. I, I pray that you would help us to internalize this truth, that we might respond in kind, not just uh, hearing it and becoming more educated, but that our lives would be ordered according to the truth that we have seen today. We thank you, and we pray these things in Jesus' name. <laughs>